Uh, we're going to be in the book of Daniel tonight, and uh, I'm, I'm trying to just, we, we've been busy with a, a few things the last couple weeks, missionary, um, Brother Pyle, uh, just have had a lot of things going, um, and uh, I'm, just, I'm just trying to do some catch up on the book of Daniel, and so we'll be in Daniel chapter 1, we might maybe there Wednesday night as well, um, just trying to catch up on the series. I planned to be further along than I am, um, and yet I have to admit this message was not part of the plan. So I'm inserting one um, that wasn't necessarily part of the plan. So once you find it, Daniel 1, go ahead and stand and uh, we'll honor the reading of God's word tonight. Daniel chapter 1 and we will again we'll read uh, the first seven verses and, um, and then we'll do a little um, catch up here as we go. In the third year, verse, verse 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim king of Judah came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels under the treasure house of his God. Now, our first message in the series was primarily focused, and that was the, the first verse that we looked at, in that uh, when, when there is a siege, when, you, when your enemy is attacking you, understand that the first thing that your enemy will go after is your faith. And, he, and that Babylon went into the temple and took the vessels from the temple as a sign to say that I'm stronger than your faith. That you're, even your God has to kneel before Nebuchadnezzar. In many ways, that's the message he was trying to send. And so when our enemy has the tactic, it'll go after our faith. It will attack our faith when, when it, it's coming after us. The second part is verse 3. It says, The king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the, of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And so in that same message, that first message, the other part, the enemy's tactic is to go after our faith. The second thing is that it will go after the next generation. It'll go after our children. And Nebuchadnezzar carried not just the vessels, he carried their children away in order to reprogram them to become Babylonians. And so last week was the message, resist the reprogramming, that the enemy is hard at work trying even right now to program, reprogram us and to reprogram our children to think like Babylon and stop thinking like God's people. And, and they do it, at last, this was last week, by removing the young generation from their older generation. And, and, and the enemy's tactic to re reprogram our children will be to make cause separation between us and our children. We see that happening in the public school system. That they're trying to do things without parents knowing. It's a tactic of the enemy. They're trying to reprogram this next generation. The other thing is that they're trying to replace the old influences and insert new influences. They, it says they were going to take them into the king's palace and teach them the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And, and so the, the enemy is trying to reprogram them, remove them from the older generation, and insert in its place um, a, a different mindset. And, and we see that happening 
Also, the enemy tries to change their, their language to get rid of the Hebrew and start immersing them in Babylonian. Um, they started getting rid of the language. They were redefining um, terms. And that's happening today, too. What's the question? What is a woman? You know, they're, re, we're, they're trying to redefine terms in our culture and, and, and go back on language that God instituted, ideas that God instituted from creation. They're trying to reprogram that. Look at, look at what else the enemy tries to do. The king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. You know what else the, the reprogramming is trying to do? Is to change our appetites. It's trying to give us a, a, a hunger, an appetite for the world's entertainment and the world's things that they, they tried to get Daniel and the young men to change their diet. And you think, well, it's just food. Well, no, by changing their diet, they would have been going against the diet that their God instituted in their lives. So it was more than just, um, oh, here's some different food. No, they were trying to change what they were hungry for. And then they, verse now number six, it says, Now among them were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. And here's the other tactic. When they're going to reprogram, they're going to try to change identity. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. That's who we are. We are first gods, and yet the world is trying to redefine. They were given Babylonian names, and if that's not happening, I don't even have to go into how that's happening in our culture because we see it. Listen, we've got to resist the reprogramming if we're going to have a generation that's remaining when we are off the scene. And tonight, I'd like to really build on that. We know the enemy's not backing off, and we know that all it takes... For evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. Amen. And I think that's happening in our culture, in our churches. If we are passive, what we know is the enemy is always moving forward. Amen. So we don't, we're, never just, we're never just passive. We're never just standing still. We are either gaining ground or, we are, or we're losing ground. And I believe right now we are losing ground. And so tonight is really less of an exposition and more of almost a summary of what we looked at so far. And I'd like to look at Daniel, almost a character study of what he was able to do because he never settled for the easy way out. Right. Yeah. You might could say it this way, Daniel was that guy. He was that guy. And I'll explain what that means as we go. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we need you that you meet with us, that you'd use uh, the word and your Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts and help us to see the urgency of this message in this hour. We need you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Yesterday, Jason and I, we were, tra we were driving and, and uh, we were talking about things and and I don't even know how it came up. I, I just asked him um, about something and it caused us to start talking about things that people, that annoying people do. <laughs> and you know, listen, I was, we were not talking like we're never that guy. Because we both know, Jason and I both know that we can definitely be the annoying ones. But, but with some of the things, and, and we were talking about different things, but I was just thinking about some of the things that 
that people do that really they probably shouldn't do. Like, for instance, and maybe I'm just giving you social cues you hadn't heard before. Don't get mad, okay? Like, when you're on your phone and you're watching a video in public, don't do it full blast. You know, uh, who does that? Well, a lot of people. I was accused of that recently by one of my kids. It's like, well, in my own home, aren't the rules different? And really, they're not. Um, driving slow in the fast lane. Who does that? Right? Well, everybody in South Dakota, right? Okay. Um, this one may not be as common, but this is the one that kind of caused the wheels to start turning. And, and it just bothers Jason and I for some reason. But, but, but who does this? Listen, some people, when they're putting on their socks and shoes, um, yeah, you've probably heard this before. Like, who does this? Ready? Sock. Shoe. Sock. Shoe. Who does that? Now, if you do that, will you raise your hand? It's okay. Okay, Vicki does that. Okay, you do that. It's okay. No judge. It's a no judgment zone in here tonight. But I still have to ask, who does that? What kind of crazy? No, just kidding. I'm not saying. No, I mean, isn't a universal truth? Sock. Sock. Shoe. Shoe. Don't you think that's the way it should be done? Yes. Right. Okay. Now we have consensus. It's the first time we've ever been unified um, completely as a church, you know? So basically, though, as we were talking about these things, I was coaching Jace on how not to be that guy. You know, and I was teaching him things like, okay, listen, bud, when you wake up in the morning, don't brush your teeth, then eat breakfast, then walk out the door. Like if you're going to do, do things in the right order, if you're going to eat breakfast, brush your teeth after breakfast, then walk out the door. And he came up, and this is a good one. Who does this, Dad? Who brushes their teeth, then drinks orange juice? Nobody. You shouldn't do that. Colin does that, okay? Who's that? Nobody should do that. It's just weird. So we were just talking, okay? We are just saying, don't be that guy. But I was thinking about being that guy. And typically, when you say when somebody is that guy... Um, it's something that isn't real positive. But tonight, I want it to become a positive term. We're going to redefine terms because Babylonian culture has taken this away from us. You know, I'd love for Jace to be that guy in a good way. I'd love for when people think about my son, I, my hope is that Jace grows up to be that guy in a good way. I want him to grow up and be respectful. And I, I just uh, was... Uh, shaking hands with some of the boys as I was during handshaking. And I, I appreciate the ones that look me right in the eye and put their hand out and shake hands with me. I, I mean, it makes a difference. Um, Brother Dale was, and I were talking about that this afternoon, how, how these young, I'm thankful we have young people around here that do that very thing. It stands out. Brother Jacob this morning was talking about in his devotion how there was a four-year-old um, little boy at, at his, his job yesterday and this boy looked him right in the eye and was talking right to him. That makes a difference. It stands out in this culture. And by the way, parents, I think it'd be good for us to work on that, to help our children. Now, listen, I'm not talking about stranger danger, um, but, but at church, we ought to teach them to look people in the eye and talk to them. When, when an adult asks them, asks them a question to answer them, that's a good thing. I want Jace in a good way. I want him to be that guy. I want him to be a good friend as he gets older. I want, my, I want my son to treat others with respect. And you can be that guy if you do things the right way is what I'm saying. But a lot of what Jace, understand this, a lot of what Jace becomes will be dependent on how I train him right now. 
He's 10 years old, and, and you think, well, you know, he's young, and this isn't that important. Um, but before you think I'm putting too much stock in this, I want you to think about Daniel. I mean, Daniel was, he was maybe a few years older than Jace. When, when, he, when he was, when somebody came into his home and kidnapped him and took him to a different culture and trained him in a different language and taught him different customs and took away his religion... Daniel was maybe, we might just say, just for sake of just being consistent, Daniel was maybe 15 years old. So, so everything Daniel knew about, about God and about being the, kind of right, the right kind of guy and being that guy for the Lord, everything he knew, he learned by the time he was 15 years old. And he was carried away and everything he had, that's all he had. And so for us then to say, well, you know, we don't have really, we don't really expect that much from our children. Listen, I know this is a rare case, but, but, but what it gives me is the idea that it's possible for us to train our children that way. It's possible for us not to settle when it comes to what our children become. Think about all the background. King Josiah died in 609 B.C. Judah enjoyed a, 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 a revitalizing, a re, you might call it a revival of great spiritual years under King Josiah. Then his sons came into power and they were only there for four years before Babylon came and took them away, carried them away captive took away the temple treasures, took away the young captives that included Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And, and Nebuchadnezzar was looking for a certain kind of young person. We know that um, in, based on verse 3 when he says to Ashpenaz um, that he should, gather, uh, he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. They were being selective. They were not just anyone would do. Um, they needed to be of a good lineage. They should come from a king or a prince. They needed to come from a strong family, maybe a well-known, respected family. They needed to be intellectually gifted. They needed to have wisdom and discernment. They needed to be willing to learn because they were preparing these young people to stand before the king. And it's interesting that, that when it comes to Babylonian thought, and it comes to the worldly mindsets, they have no problem selecting the cream of the crop. They, they, they want the best, and they, they have high goals, and they have high aspirations for their training. So why should we as God's people have low aspirations for the children we're training? You know, their intention was to reprogram them. For three years, they were, they were going to reprogram them. And then in verse 5, that all at the end thereof, that they might stand before the king. That's what they were doing. They had high expectations. They started with the name change. That We know that Daniel went from Daniel, which means God is my judge, to Belteshazzar, which means whom Bel favors. Hananiah means the beloved by the Lord. His name was changed to Shadrach, which means illumined by the sun god. Mishael means who is like God. They changed his name to Meshach, who is like Venus, or Ashtoreth, potentially, this other God. Azariah means the Jehovah has helped, but his name was changed to Abednego, which means the servant of Nego. Listen, can you imagine then the effect that would have on these young men, psychologically speaking, that every time they heard their new name, they were reminded not of their God, but of a new God. 
They were re being reprogrammed every time somebody said their name. They weren't thinking of God. They were thinking of that pagan religion of Babylon. They were on the path to be reprogrammed. And, and what's interesting here is you know that it wasn't just Daniel and those three other boys. There were countless of the select. There were countless that they said, choose out certain. There were many of them. But what I find interesting is only four of them are named. Meaning that of all of the children that were carried away to Babylon, and I'm not saying this um, for sure because we don't know for sure, but it, but it certainly seems like um, these four had parents that prepared them for this. And the rest are unnamed. And so tonight what I want you to have in mind is what, and I know, that it's, I know this is maybe a parental uh, principle, but it's a principle for everybody. Um, but, but I'll focus on parents at times. But just imagine which category do you want your children to end up in? The unnamed or Daniel and his friends? Well, I can tell you, for me, it's clearly over on this side. And I would love, if, my, if I'm going to prepare my children and train my children for one thing, anybody can live unnamed. Anybody can go with the crowd. Anybody can just follow along with culture. But a select few will stand for God in the face of great adversity. And if I'm going to raise my children, and let's expand this, if we're going to have a church that raises disciples, I don't want disciples that are unnamed making no difference. As a church, we ought to say, no, we want people that are named, making a difference, standing for God, doing things the right way. You can either be that guy in a negative way, or you can be that guy or gal, or teenager, in a positive way. I'm telling you, this is the one we want, because we find out Daniel was that guy over here. See, that original programming that Daniel had was not so quickly erased and overwritten. As you study Daniel, you realize he had a testimony of impeccable character. I mean, there aren't many in, this, in, the, in the Bible uh, that have nothing really negative written about them. I mean, you might say that Joseph ranks up there if we're going to rank ours. Obviously, Jesus is at the very top. Um, but of those that were born with a sin nature, then you would say that Joseph and Daniel were at least tied. Not that there's you know, a ranking or they're standing on a podium in heaven or anything. Um, but in terms of young people, I mean, telling you, sometimes we think that young people are the most hopeless cause. But it's only two young people that lived a whole life and nothing ever negative was written about them. Joseph and Daniel. I mean, it's incredible when you think about their character. And, and so not only that, though, the Lord used him. Just think about how Daniel was that guy. He was that guy in terms of his character. Daniel was that guy and that the Lord reused, used him to record some incredible truths. I mean, this book that he wrote, no other um, Old Testament author received this kind of prophetic material and extensive uh, prophecy. He wasn't a prophet. Daniel was a victim of, of child trafficking. He was a servant. He was a government worker, a kidnapped Jew, who ended up in the government as an official. And God revealed some of the most incredible truths about the end times to Daniel. I mean, and in choosing whether or not to do right. 
Then Daniel takes the hard route by refusing the king's meat, and the Lord blesses him greatly for his stand. And Daniel's that guy. Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. Daniel was not only able to interpret the dreams, that, that Nebuchadnezzar came and says, I don't even remember my dreams. How many of you have dreams and you know you had a dream, but you can't remember them? Okay, that's, how many of you have dreams and you always remember your dreams? Okay, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of half and half. My wife never remembers her dreams. She remembers every time I've ever failed in our marriage. But she can't remember her dreams from last night. Either that or she doesn't want to tell me what the dream was. Because it was one of these, you know, and I was, uh, anyway, okay. You know, some, uh, Dan, so Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. He couldn't remember his dreams. And he comes in with a task very hard. He asked his wise men, wise men, he says, hey, I don't remember my dream, but I want you to remember it and interpret it for me. And like, how are we supposed to do that? Well, here comes Daniel, and Daniel's not dependent on earthly human wisdom. Daniel goes to God, and it says in Daniel 2, him and, Sh and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, that they go before God, and they seek God, and God reveals the dream, not just the dream, but the interpretation to Daniel, and he goes to Nebuchadnezzar. I'm telling you, because of Daniel's prayer life, Nebuchadnezzar actually ends up in chapter 2 giving glory to God. I mean, and can you imagine, though, imagine this. Imagine a young man, I don't know how old he is in that story, but imagine he's probably still a teenager, a young man having that kind of influence over a king. You know, the king thought, I'm going to feed you my meat and my wine, that'll prepare you to stand before me. And what he didn't realize is that God was already preparing Daniel to stand before a king. And Dan, he stood before a king. Can you imagine having that influence? That's the kind of person Daniel was. Amen. In chapter 4, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar that because of his pride, that God would basically make him go out of his mind with, with pride for a season. Have you ever had to tell the truth? I mean, he's telling a king that, that you, God's going to judge you for your pride. Can, have you ever had to tell somebody the truth and you knew they didn't want to hear it? It's not easy. But here's Daniel a teenager with no godly influences for a few years and he's standing before a king telling a king something that he knows the king's not going to like but he's willing to do it anyway. I mean, you talk about Daniel being that guy, this guy over here, the right kind of guy. It's risky to tell people the truth but Daniel was that guy. He told Bethlehem later in the book that the handwrite, the handwriting on the wall meant that was not a good message. It was not a headline that, that Belshazzar wanted to hear about. But Daniel told him the truth. He, not only that, he had influence over his peers. They found themselves in a fiery furnace. Can you imagine being the kind of person that can inspire your peers to stand in the face of death? I mean, it's one thing to motivate people to do right when it's hard. But to motivate people to do right when they could die for it? I mean, I remember the first time we had a church planters conference. And I'm like, I'm not sure how this is going to work. And there's fear and trembling. And, you know, is this going to happen? And I remember thinking, man, should I, am I, do I want to lead the church to do this? And, and are we going to be able to handle it? And, of course, we, God has blessed us. And you all jumped in. It's been awesome. But the first time you're trying to lead somebody to do something else, there's fear involved in that. Can you imagine that you, what you're trying to say to somebody else is inspiring them to do something they will likely die for. That's a, that's a totally different level. And here's Daniel. He's this guy. 
He's able to have influence over others who, who, can't, who are afraid, who probably you know, wouldn't stand without his influence, and yet he's motivating them to stand in the face of death. But he wasn't just motivating others to stand in the face of death. Remember where he ended up one time? Daniel in the lion's den. In other words, he wasn't asking people to do something he wasn't willing to do himself. And through all of what Daniel did, through all of the exploits and all the different things that he did for God, the book refers to his spirit six times. It says he has an excellent spirit twice. Four times other people said about him, you've got a different spirit. You have a spirit of the gods. That was their way of saying, we, you're something different about your spirit and we can't put our finger on it. What they didn't realize is that Daniel had the, the spirit of Jehovah, the one true God, but in their vernacular, they were saying, you've got something different about your spirit. And, and I like to say uh, this then tonight, I like to say it this way, Daniel was clearly that guy. Daniel had all of these things, and when you think about where he came from, listen, and this is where we get to the point tonight, when you think about where he came from, it can do one of two things. It, can either, uh, it either takes away your excuses, or it gives you hope. And think about it, Daniel does one of two things. His story either removes your excuses, or his story gives you hope. And, and by that, I mean, if you're the kind of person that says, well, I can't do this and I can't do that because I've got this reason and this excuse and this commitment, I've got this personality, I can't do these kinds of things that Daniel was doing, then you are used to using excuses to limit what God can do with you. But when you read the book of Daniel, you realize, man, my excuses aren't really that great. Here's just a young man who had nobody telling him what to do except his own character and his own walk with God. And he was standing in the face of death doing the right things. And we often use excuses that don't hold a candle what Daniel was, using, was facing. So you can either let Daniel's story take away your excuses, which some, that's what some of us need to do. Or you can allow Daniel's story to give you hope because you think, I don't have anything going for me. I don't really have anything that would be impressive to the world. I don't have a, big, a good background. I haven't had good preparation. I don't have a lot. Um, but if God can do it with Daniel, then God can do it with me. So we can either focus on the excuses or we can focus on the hope. Let me just give you two applications here right off the top in your prayer life. You listen, if your prayer life isn't good, then thinking of Daniel's resolve to pray in the face of true difficulty, that takes away every excuse we've ever made for not praying. He prayed out of a window and people saw him and turned him in to be killed by lions. And often our excuse is, uh, I just didn't really want to wake up. It takes away our excuses when you read the book of Daniel. Not only that, if your prayer life isn't good, it gives you hope. Because Daniel's story should let you know that no matter the position you're in, if your prayer life is what it ought to be, your prayer life can make a difference. So it either takes away our excuse or it gives us hope. I think about standing for God. I think about our young people and and how, boy, I, I, I can't wait 
until I, you know, the day that it seems like our young people are really standing for God. And, and I, they could do it right now. Sometimes it's hard when they're young people for them to have opportunities or have the courage to do it. But, but I really believe that God is working in some of them and I am excited about the day. But Daniel's story removes the excuses, young people, because we're often, you're, we're afraid to be a strong witness and we're afraid to stand for God. But here's a young man whose parents were nowhere to be found. He was in a godless culture that hated his God and his parents were nowhere around and he wasn't able to go to church and he didn't have a youth group and he didn't have a Bible, but he stood for God in spite of all of that. And so what are your excuses? It's pretty easy to have excuses and it's easy to be hard on them, but we were teenagers once too. I'm just trying to inspire you to recognize you don't have to use the same excuses everybody else does. And as a matter of fact, if you will just decide to be like Daniel, you have hope that God could use you in a pretty big way if you will just say, yes, Lord, I'll stand for you. So it, both, it takes away our excuses, but it also gives us hope. Listen, based on Daniel's life, if you're not that person, you have no excuses. But you also have hope that God can transform you into that person if you'd stop using excuses. See, Daniel, if Daniel didn't make excuses, why should you? And, and if God could use Daniel, why can't he use you? Daniel did the most he could with, a very, with very little to work with. Daniel was probably in his mid-teens. I mean, he was probably 15. And, but listen, most of his life was lived under poor leadership. I mean, he had 12 years under Josiah, potentially, if we're doing the timelines. Uh, three years under Jehoiakim. 43 years under Nebuchadnezzar. So 50 or 46 years at least under bad leadership, 12 years under good leadership with Josiah, the rest of his life he spent under pagan Babylonian and Persian kings. And even though, but even as a young man, all of Daniel's good leadership influences took place by the time he was 13 or 14 years old. And yet he was established enough, listen, he was established enough as a teenager to live a life above reproach. To take a stand for God when no one else did. To speak truth to kings. To have a prayer life that, that, would, that no one could deter him from. But his godly influences stopped when he was a teenager. Yeah, and young people, listen, if Daniel could be this kind of person as a teenager with no good influences after the age of 15 besides Dan, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, then what's your excuse you know, you, you have, you're using all kinds of excuses right now to, to not be that person. Um, but Daniel didn't use excuses. And in fact, Daniel's example should give you hope. That if da God can do that with Daniel in those circumstances, then he can certainly, I know Eastside's not a perfect church, but if, Daniel can, if God can do that with Daniel in those circumstances, he could certainly do that in your life in a church like this. And with a youth pastor like that and with a youth group like this and with people that love you like this, stop using excuses. And, and, and rather, and I'm not beating you up, I'm on the other side saying you have hope. Amen. There is hope that God could take these young people and do something bigger with them than we ever thought he could or that he ever did with us. You know, stop using excuses and focus on the hope. But this isn't just for young people. 
I mean, adults, we can use excuses too. You know, and some people say, well, you know, I didn't grow up, Pastor. I didn't grow up in a, in a Christian home like you did. I didn't grow up in an independent Baptist home with my parents that love God. And, you know, they, I didn't have what you had. I didn't have what other people have. And to that, I say, I wish you did. I wish I could go back and change that for you. And I, I wish that I could make that different. But listen, wait a minute. Remember where you live. Because in some countries, it's illegal to have a Bible in your home. In some countries, it's illegal to go to church or worship God. There are plenty of places where it's illegal to tell people about Jesus. So when you think about Daniel, or you think about our Christian brothers around the world, and our Christian sisters around the world, you realize we have very few excuses for not serving God, or for not being a witness, or for not getting up and reading our Bibles, when there are people that, that love God probably more than we do in other places, that can't, they don't even have a copy of the Bible. We have resources at our disposal no one else has ever had. We have information at our fingertips that no one else has ever had. Education is easier and more available than ever before. We can learn, listen, we can learn whatever skill we choose. We simply don't because I believe we're wasting time scrolling and surfing. And I'm not, listen, again, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying, as Americans, first world problems... And our issue is not that we don't have the resources, is that, but it's rather we don't make good use of our time. Because the resources are there. And what we're doing is teaching the next generation that the best use of time is to waste it. Listen, all it takes is a hunger to learn or to get better at something than you could. And our young people would realize, listen, that there's, if they watch their parents, if they watch us in our generation that make good use of our time and don't just waste it, then they will realize there's more to their teen years than wasting time. So we need to stop using excuses and buy into the hope that God wants us to be that person so that we can influence the next generation to be that person. It's possible. It is possible to be that teenager. It is in a good way. And if Daniel did it, you can do it. It's possible, moms, to be that mom. It's possible, dads, to be that dad. It's possible, husbands, to be that husband. It's possible, wives, to be that wife. It's possible, employees, to be that employee. It is possible, Sunday school teachers, to be that Sunday school teacher. It's possible, deacons, to be that deacon. It's possible to be whatever it is that God puts in your heart. We live in a country with, that gives us really no excuses. We have everything at our fingertips. We have everything at our disposal. And yet we spend our time making excuses when God just says, I will make you that person if you just want to be. Every person in chapter 1 had the same opportunities. Every young, every select person had the same opportunities, but only four of them focused on hope instead of excuses. And I believe people that desire opportunities get more opportunities. So we ought to stop using excuses and buy into the hope that God allows those who seek opportunities to make a bigger difference. Choose to make the most of your opportunities today. And I believe you'll watch God give you more tomorrow. You say, well, what about the tough circumstances? You know, my life, I've had tragedy. I've had tough circumstances. I'm in no way trying to diminish what you're facing. 
I'm in no way trying to diminish how challenging it's been. But Daniel was kidnapped. He was relocated to a country that hated his God. He was taught a different language. He was forced into a different religion. And he had no freedom to worship his God without risk. To that I say, we must stop using how hard we have it. As an excuse not to be that person. Let Daniel give you hope. I know that there are difficult situations. I know there are difficult lives in here. You've, you're facing a lot of things. But let Daniel give you hope that you can, in spite of your difficulties, be used by God. To parents, I say tonight, sometimes we, we use excuses in raising our children instead of having hope that God may want something more for their lives. Amen. I, I'm, I'm telling you, it is easy as a parent to be defensive. It's really easy as a parent to make excuses for our kids and say, well, you know, you know they're throwing a fit tonight because they're tired. Hey, I, my kids have thrown fits. I throw fits sometimes, Amen. still. No, um, we, we all want to, and, and our kids, when they're tired, and it's easy to make an excuse for our children when they're tired. It's easy to make an excuse for, for our children uh, when things are not easy. I mean, we had church planning conference. I mean, I was tired. Late nights, early mornings, it was not easy. But, but we have to stop making excuses and consider which category we want our children to end up in. Amen. Do we want Daniels or do we want the unnamed? And when you realize, and Brother Jacob talked about this this morning in his devotion about training. When you realize what your goal is, it affects how you train. And if we want children that end up over here in the Daniel category, that starts to impact um, how we expect them to obey on a daily basis. And, and too many parents are using the excuses like, well, they're young. And, and they're, they're too young and you can't really have high expectations. But I'm just telling you, it is possible to raise children that obey with a good spirit the first time, even when they're two or three years old. And I think as parents, maybe even, you know, as a culture, we've been taught that, that that's too young to expect um, immediate obedience. It's not. Right. I and mean, we can expect them to obey the first time and not just right away, but with a right spirit. We can expect that when they're young. Let's stop making excuses. Have you ever met a child that's well-behaved when they're two or three? I have. I had some of them. I had some that weren't, and I had some that were. It lets me, it gives me hope that it's possible for our children when they're two or three to obey. And it also helps me not make excuses because I know it's possible, so I need to stop excusing it when my children don't do it. We are raising, we are training them. And, and they have, we say, well, they have too much to overcome in this area. They're shy or this or that. Daniel and his friends had a lot to overcome. Let that give you hope that God can do the same thing with your children. What's going to help them best be like Daniel? Making excuses or saying, no, I believe that God has bigger plans for them. I'm going to raise the bar. I'm going to help them. You're either training your children to make excuses 
or have hope that God has plans to use them in big ways. And if you use too many excuses, you're creating that kid. But if you, in a bad way, but if you refuse to use excuses and say, no, I have hope in Daniel's situation, then you can raise that kid in a good way. We've got a lot of parents with little ones right now. It's a great thing. I love it. But be careful because you are training. You begin training the moment you bring them home. I mean, the first night. And, and, you know, and I know what it's like, first time moms, and you want to hold that baby, and, and, and you think, well, I can't really let the baby go. Listen, um, it, it is good for our children to learn. We are training them to think that if mom's not holding me, I can't be content. And, and that's not a good thing for our children to have. They need to know that, that, I mean, even from an early age, I mean, and you say, well, you're p- cruel parents. What we did was with our children from an early age, if they started fussing in their bed, we didn't run and rescue them the very first time they made noise. Because it's not bad for them. It's, it, first of all, it's like Pilates. It's exercise. <laughs> That's all they can do is cry. It's not bad for them. But the other thing is, it's training them to think that if I make noise, I get what I want. And from an early age, moms and dads, especially those of you with first-time babies, hear this, that you are training every time you give in to that little, mm, that little beautiful child. You're training them. And maybe, it might be better to say they're training you. We've got to be careful of assuming that, that what we're doing with our children from an early age is not teaching them anything. It is. And they are quick learners. I would encourage you, moms and dads, that consider ways that you can help, even from an early age, help your child not just to uh, give in um, you know, to their expectations every time and, and their demands every time, um, but, to, but to work through that and teach them, train them from an early age that they don't always have to get their way to be happy. That's the default of every child. If I get my way, I can be happy. And parents train children all the time to think that. But it's not good for them and it's not good for mom and dad either. So I believe your mindset as a parent is preparing them for excuses or it's preparing them to stand before kings. Here's the idea. Prepare them for anything, and God just might do anything with them. I heard my pastor, Brother Hardy, say that one time. Prepare them for anything, and God just might do anything with their lives. Don't protect your kids from every single little hardship. Listen, I know what it's like when something happens, or you feel like your child's being treated unfairly, and you, know, you want to jump to their defense. I understand. I've been there. But listen, you'd be better off with our kids helping them work through those things rather than knocking every obstacle down that's in their path. They'll be better for it. Parents, don't be defensive. It's going to happen the older they get. It's easy to see the best in our kids. It's easy to see the worst in everybody else's kids. We cut them slack that we don't give others, but it's no fun to hear how hard things are, uh, you know, or hard, hard things about our kids, I should say. But rather than use excuses or get upset, maybe try to find some truth in what has been brought up and use it as an opportunity to help them grow. 
If you, are, if, if you teach them that anytime something hard happens, mom and dad come to the rescue, then, they, then when they're older, they won't, re, they won't recognize that there is a sovereign God that they can trust when things get hard. Because mom and dad have always come to the rescue. No, it's good for them to understand in a situation that's hard that mom and dad aren't always going to come to their defense, but rather mom and dad are going to point them to a God who is perfectly capable of handling those things in their lives. You know, it's good for our children to learn. Otherwise, because when you're not around, who are they going to trust to help them go through the difficulties? Well, they better be turning to God because mom and dad won't always be there to rescue them. You know, I like to think that Daniel's parents weren't excuse makers. Because he was ready to stand before a king a very short time after he was taken from his home. Here's the thing. You have to believe that if Daniel's parents raised that guy, that his dad was probably that guy. And I don't know that speculation, but I like to think that you don't come up with a Daniel by accident. His mom was probably that lady. That mom. If we're going to produce a generation that stands before kings, that live righteous lives, that aren't swayed by the culture and have strong prayer lives and tell the truth without fear and make a big difference, then we ought to start striving to be that person ourselves. Because I think sometimes as parents, we expect more from our children than we are willing to do in our own lives. And I'm telling you this, they will never rise above the model that they have seen exhibited in their home. I mean, that's not true. Some do. And I'm thankful for it. But let me catch that and be, it is unlikely that they will rise above the examples that they've seen in mom and dad their whole growing up years. We are just making it harder for them to be a Daniel in a culture that's not making it easy. You have to think that Daniel was imitating the model he saw at home. Listen, so I'm asking you this question that will be done. If your influence was removed from your children today, parents, if your children, God forbid, were taken from your home today, what have they learned from you to help them stand before kings? Will they have enough that they've learned from you to make a difference no matter the setting they're taken to? How much have you, have you exhibited a person of faith? How much have you exhibited a person with a great spirit? How much have you exhibited somebody that trusts God and has faith in God? How much have you exhibited someone with a strong prayer life? How much have you exhibited somebody that's willing to tell the truth even when it's risky? How much have you exhibited someone who stands before others in the face of danger and stands for God and represents truth in a culture that doesn't like it? How much have they learned those traits that Daniel had from mom and dad at this point? I'm afraid, if, I was, if I'm being honest, my son's 10 years old. Well, I, don't, I, I would hate, obviously, I would hate for this to happen in his life. But I'm afraid there are areas that he'd be asked to stand in that he hasn't seen dad be a good example of. So it would be God's grace for him 
But you know what that does? That motivates me to say, you know, someday he may not, I may not be around and it may be just Jace and what I've taught him. And if that's the case, that makes me want to be that guy that much more. It makes me want to be that lady that much more. If I want him to be that guy, I better be that guy. If my wife wants our girls to be that girl, she needs to be that lady. If we want to raise children that have a strong, godly marriage over here, then I need to be that husband. My wife needs to be that wife. If I want to raise them to be that kind of church member, then I need to be that kind of church member. If I'm going to raise them to be the kind of person that goes before God no matter what time of night and no matter what the need is and seeks the face of God with power and with effect, then I need to be willing to do those things in my children's, in, in, before my children. Listen, we, we shouldn't ever ask our children to be that guy if we're not willing to be ourselves. So are you that guy? Ladies, are you that lady? Dads, are you that dad? Church members, are you that church member? Moms, are you that church member? Teenagers, are you that teenager? We're, all, we're leaving an example for the generation coming behind and we're either helping them use excuses or we're giving them hope that God could transform them into that person someday. Let's stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's do business with the Lord tonight as he's prompted us this evening. And I'm telling you, this inspires, it inspires me. When I think of Daniel, it inspires me to be a different kind of man. It inspires me to be a different kind of husband, different kind of father, different kind of Christian. Because Daniel had everything that he had by the time he was a teenager. And look what he did for God. Are we using excuses Daniel could have and he didn't. Let's not use excuses.